WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. R&D in the QC, episode 60. We interview the candidates for the Charlotte City Council, District 3C. That's right, folks. A lot of people said it couldn't be done. These two guys, a trusty leader in the city and his sidekick, could get to episode 60, but we've done it. Luck and welcome back to the Tar- show. <laughs> Don't feel so bad. You're not my sidekick. Oh. Well, we're here, man, and we are actually recording this in opposite order. So we've already done the the heavy lifting of the show. And now we're kind of having a we won't we'll let everyone draw their own conclusions, but we're here to tee it up and maybe indicate some of the themes and things that we saw or heard. So at three o'clock today, All we started three. interviewing the three candidates for district three. In three segments. Well, four segments counting this one. Oh, you're a terrible human. Um tell me more. Yeah, so we, as as everybody knows, Councilwoman Luana Mayfield, the current District 3 representative, is running for re-election, but she's running for one of the citywide at-large seats. I mean, that's, to me, I think that's, take a pause there. I think, I've mentioned this to a couple of people who aren't paying as close attention, and they're like, wow. Like, that. that's kind of, I would say that's the news, other than Phipps not gonna, going to run again, is the news of the cycle, is it not? Um. Uh, Yes, but there's not really been any other news of the cycle Well, that's yet. exactly <laughs> so, why. Yes. So, Good those point. are literally the only two things that are going on yet. Indeed. Um, we don't yet know. Why is she doing that? Uh, well, originally she had said, um, I don't know why, when, or, or what prompted it, but she had said that her intention was to serve in that district for eight years, and she will have now served for eight years. So she's honoring the, I guess, pledge to do four terms as that district rep and but feels like she's still got something to offer the city and maybe wants to to strategize and work more broadly than than just in her district so uh and i I do think she'll be competitive in uh, for one of those final spots for the at-large seats um not sure yet who will get in besides the four current at-large members and councilwoman mayfield but either way with her decision to run at large it has opened up a vacancy in the district three seat and currently There are three candidates that are out and actively running, have been for some time. Is anyone talking? Are there any rumors of folks who also might jump into the race? Or is that literally it that we've heard so far? So I asked one of our guests today if there were any other outliers that that might get in it. Uh, There's apparently rumor of one other person. But at this point, these three folks that we're going to interview in the subsequent segments have been out and, and really working this since probably about December, January. So someone getting in the race now is really going to be um, running an uphill race. How many ran in District 5 last year where we had the runoff? Six, I think. Oh, okay. All right. That was six. And in that in 2017, the threshold to avoid a runoff was 40%. Now the threshold is only 30%. Which so, would have prevented it in that run? Do you remember the numbers? Uh, it was close. I think in that race, the winner of the primary 
was right wow. right around 30%. Six is a lot for a single district seat. It is, and that was an open seat as yeah. well. Um, and we don't know yet how many will run for uh, Greg Phipps' seat in District 4, though I've heard several names pop up, and we'll do something similar to this when that field starts to solidify a little bit. Yeah. But um, with these three, it is highly unlikely uh, that you'd end up in a scenario with a runoff. Actually, I don't even know that it's it's not statistically possible. Um, I don't guess for there to be a runoff. It could be a very strong write-in campaign. I guess there could. Um, but no no practical circumstance where this ends up in a runoff. So this will be decided in September. As we mentioned in some of our interviews with these candidates, this is one of the most Democratic districts in the city. So there's frequently not even a Republican opponent. So if you live in District 3... And you're a Republican, you should just move. <laughs> <laughs> if you live in District 3 and you're an Independent or a Democrat... Um, your race is going to be decided in the primary in September. And so it's really important that you focus in on the primary. If you're waiting till November, you'll have missed the boat. These three candidates, I think, and I think you'll agree, uh, obviously you'd love the district to be more competitive. You'd love to see Republicans running in it. Given that that's not the current circumstance in this district, I think you'll agree there are three strong candidates here, and people certainly need to do their homework. They need to get to know them personally. But we hope this will be a good first step for folks to have a sense of who these three folks are. Uh, in order today, we'll interview Terry Brown, Terry Brown Jr., Caleb Tadris, and Victoria Watlington, um, all three of whom really good people, really strong candidates, and have been preparing themselves for this type of a run for a while. Yeah, all, all, all BS aside, you know, I, I would say that those three, and everyone can judge for themselves, I personally walked away from there thinking, being, being impressed by all three of them. I mean, that, that's, those are three quality candidates and leaders who have all, in their own ways, been involved right and they, they weren't just like oh i'm gonna one day randomly run for council i mean they they they've been engaged in, in a variety of different angles so i don't really you know unless there's more to be to be learned on the campaign trail my gut tells me that whoever gets it you know th there's not there's not a bad scenario it also would uh in any of the three circumstances and i don't know um i don't know exactly how old the, those candidates are, and honestly, I don't even know exactly how old Councilwoman Mayfield is, but um, it would continue the the youth movement shift a bit. Yeah. Um, in all three cases, I believe they would lower the age from the current representative, and uh, in one of the cases, very significantly. So, um, just just pecking away at those seats. Bingo, it's going to be man. all all 30 and 40 year olds. Well, you told me, but when we were off air a minute ago, that's your goal to get rid of all old people, nope. right? Wasn't that your big thing? Your new campaign slogan? Why do you say dumb things? <laughs> There's that small percentage of our listeners who can't quite distinguish when I'm joking. Well, for your knowledge, this was not one of those times. So what, uh, what, what struck you? You know, we don't want to bias anyone. Everyone, we want everyone to, you know, part of our uh, being a member of the R&D and the QC family is we bring you things that no one else can bring you. And we wanted to bring you back to back, both in your earphones and then uh, when you uh, you can watch the live stream to kind of see them in person as well, all of them are dynamic folks, um, so they can make their own judgment at kind of having the same conversation with some of the same questions. Uh, but what you know, what was your take? Yeah, and I don't want to put my thumb on the scale before people get a chance to listen. Uh, we did try to make the interviews as uniform as possible so that you did have a fair apples to apples comparison of, of each of these folks. Um, but but genuine, genuinely, I encouraged that we've got three 
people who seem to understand what the city does so well, seem to have um, built their resumes and built their experience in a way that prepared them to run and prepared them to be um, an able public servant if they win. Um, that's not always the case. I mean, some of these things where you get six people running in a primary, some of them you just write off immediately and you say, well, that's not a serious candidate. They don't have any experience. They have no idea what they're talking about. And they don't even seem to take their own campaign seriously in, or seem to think they can win. All three of these people are taking them, this campaign very seriously. They've obviously taken their preparation to get in the mix here very seriously. And, uh, and I think any one of the three of them would be, uh, would be a good addition to our, our team up here. Are you going to, uh, there is are you going year. to be endorsing? I am not, I'm not gonna, I have no intentions of endorsing in, uh, district three or district four race though. Again, we don't really know what the district four field looks like, but I've known all three of these folks that we interviewed today for district three prior to their announcing their runs. Um, some better than others, but I'd consider them all three friends, uh, I'll be happy to serve with any wouldn't of the three it, Wouldn't so you be doing the, the community there. a service by endorsing? Uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have but I, developed faith in you, and you understand and have views and, and things that, that others may not have. I mean, I, I would think that they would want to hear what you say. Is it is it more political kind of uh, well, I think you know, that, expediency to if the others win, you have to work with the person? Well, I, and, and, that's and, the and, big part to me, I think, is that if you, if you potentially poison the well by – by picking a, a team here and then it goes the other direction. For instance, I mean, if, you know, if I'd have picked a side in any of the other primaries that we, you know, that ran at the same time we did in 2017 uh, and then ended up working with the other person, I don't think that's a great first foot to get off on. And honestly, I, I really do think that any of the three of these could step in and be um, an effective person who, who brings skills and experiences and, and perspectives to the table that would be valuable to the work we do. So no, I certainly have no intention of endorsing this race, but I, I am encouraged by the fact that I think we could work well with any of these three people. That's a spot that we're not used to being in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't, I can't presume that that's going to be the case in district four and any other seat where you go, you know what? I could live with any of them. I thought, I thought one of them outperformed the others. I won't say who, but I, I, it, and maybe it's just, you know, like I said, they're all strong. Maybe that was today. Maybe that was just in this environment. Again, you watch them throughout, and everyone can be their own judge. I, I did think one was a, a, a slight hair above the rest. All right, so when Tark posts this episode I shall be on Monday, I think uh, – I only endorse him guys, Democratic You primaries. guys reply back to Tark on Twitter uh, or on Facebook and let us know your rankings from these interviews. Who wins, who loses, doesn't mean you have to endorse. just means – who performed the best today? Which, you know, I'm always consistently better than Larkin, but some days he's hot and I'm tired and, and, and you know, he outperforms me that day. So who outperformed in this day today? Without further ado, uh, we will lead <laughs> off our three interviews with, with Terry three Brown Jr. people that happened today. All right, so we are here with our first of three candidates for the District 3 seat being vacated by Councilwoman Luana Mayfield. Uh, we have got the three announced candidates who are coming in today to, to interview with us, tell you a little bit about themselves, what their priorities are, what their visions are for District 3 and for the city. And we are leading off today with Mr. Terry Brown Jr. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome to the show. <laughs> so tell our listeners if, if – 
they need to know a little bit about Terry Brown Jr. Uh, just as a person. Give us a little bit of your background, both personally and professionally. What led you to this point? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina, lifelong North Carolinian. I moved to Charlotte to go to UNC Charlotte, where my uh, green tie today from just left the alumni awards banquet and uh, i fell in love with the city when i was here you know the when i graduated light rail had just got to charlotte epicenter had just been finished being built so there was a lot of things going on in the city uh, i moved away for a few years to work as an organizer and as a tutor and go to law school after I law school, got a job offer. Where'd you move to? Uh, moved to Raleigh, and then I worked as an organizer for OFA up in Halifax and Hertford counties. So, what made you want to run for uh, for the seat? Yeah, so I moved back. My wife and I uh, moved back to the Camp Green area, and we saw how the city's changing. And one of the biggest things that I see is, you know, we're in a situation right now where. We've got a lot of growth going on. We've got a lot of great things happening in the city, but we're really at a tipping point where we can either backslide or we can keep the trajectory going. So I really thought that it was important talking to people in my neighborhood, talking with people in my area about really shaping not just the growth uptown and all the development we have there, but really developing our communities. So what would you say for Charlotte as a whole, the top two issues are that if uh, if you're on council next year with, with whoever else is here, what do you think the top two priorities are for the city? And then specifically, what do you think some unique priorities are for District 3? Yeah, I mean, I think all the issues that we have, one of the things I think council's doing a good job at now, but we could do a little bit better at, is really looking at all the issues and how they're intertwined. You know, I, we talk a lot about upper mobility. We talk a lot about affordable housing. I think all those are fantastic issues, but they can all kind of be boiled down to just pure affordability in Charlotte. Because what's affordable to me, not may be affordable to you, and all these issues are intertwined. You know, we've got a lot of displacement going on over on the West side with our district and when you think about that it's not just an affordable housing issue we 100 percent need to increase the supply of affordable housing but looking at all those other factors that are involved with that you know if you're getting displaced and now you have to move out to Gaston County, up north to Concord, out east somewhere, then you're going to have to spend extra money on public transportation, extra money in gas. You have to take your kids to daycare an extra hour early. That's $300, $400 is coming into your bottom line every day. So really focusing on how we're developing our communities and how we're making sure we're dealing with all of these issues. Job creation, affordability is an overarching issue. So um, you mentioned affordable housing. I'm assuming you've been watching you know, what's been going on in at least the last year or two. Um, what's one thing that you uh, you think we did a good job on in affordable housing? And what's one thing that if you had been there and you were the district three rep, you might've done a little differently. Yeah. I mean, I think that the bond last year was a great, was a great idea getting that $50 million that we can have there. Uh, continually to push that, continue to work with our private partners to get more funds in there. You know, the biggest thing is we have to deal with the need that we have right now. Um, we have to get more units. We have to make it more accessible for people. But the other thing that we could think about that I would push for is thinking long-term and long-term, not just band-aids on the solution, but long-term strategies to help people not be reliant on needing us to have pass a bond every five years, every so often. Uh, I'm a member of the Westside Community Land Trust, and what the land trust does is we provide affordable housing solutions for people, and at the end of the day, you know, we're keeping that price affordable, but you can also leave if you stay in that home for five, ten years, you get some equity. So not only are you staying in affordable housing, but you're able to walk away and build something for yourself, so you're not relying on having to go to affordable housing for your next home. So I think doing things like that is really important, where we're not just focusing on the now, which is important, but we're also focusing on what can we do to make this sustainable for the next 10, 15, 20 years in Charlotte. 
So District 3 is, and I'll have to check the most up-to-date statistics, but if it is not the most, it's one of the most um, left-leaning districts in the city. So as much as it is anywhere, uh, the general election is a bit of a formality. The primary is really where the winner is crowned for this seat. Uh, and so undoubtedly, I imagine that the two other Gotta candidates, that, right? Isn't that a wonderful kind of way that politics is set up well, right now? It is what it is. Um, but given that, and it's a similar situation to a lesser degree in my district. Um, and so I faced this challenge in 2017 as well. A lot of times the the candidates, all three of you that we interview today will probably, at least in, in broad strokes, agree on things like affordable housing and upward mobility and stuff like that. Is there something that you think uh, maybe a unique passion of yours or a unique focus of yours or somewhere where maybe um, you believe you're not necessarily perfectly in step with the Democratic Party that, that makes you a little bit of an outlier on a certain issue. Is there something that you think really differentiates you in that way? Um, or is it more just your nuanced approach to the larger issues that you'll all likely agree on? Well, I think I think a lot of it is the way we're going to be executing on things. Um, one of my biggest things I, that I believe in and I feel strongly about is like I just mentioned, figuring out long-term solutions. I know that, you know, there's a lot of issues all the time where we're trying to figure out just to stop the problem, to put our, you know, our thumb on the hole so we stop the water coming out. But thinking about long-term solutions, I was at a neighborhood association meeting over in uh, the district off of uh, Tuckasegee a couple weeks ago, and people there were talking about the old Freedom Mall and how much that was a huge uh, point of their community. It was a point of pride for their community, for people to shop. The first Red Lobster in Charlotte was over there. There was a Target over there, and how much they loved that, and how much they wished that that development was back there. And one of the things that I that I am really passionate about and I really want to bring is making sure we're doing more mixed-use development in our community. So we're getting back to a true community model where people have a place where they can live. It's on transit lines. We're upgrading our transportation. Uh, one of my biggest passions is transportation. Uh, District 3 has a ton of it in there between the light rail, the airport, which is the number one economic engine in the city of Charlotte um, and fixing our roads. You know, I hear it all the time from people down in Steel Creek, uh, Fort Mill, not to offend anybody down in South Carolina, but nobody necessarily just loves to live in Fort Mill, but they like being adjacent to Charlotte. Shots fired. The man can never run, <laughs> wow. the man can never run for Fort Mill I mean, City Council strong, now. I'll strong. take that one. I'll take that one. But, you know, you've got people that we live make down those there. jokes behind closed doors, <laughs> just FYI. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, Hurting that infrastructure in Fort Charlotte. Fort Tarek and I, for the record, love you. Larkin was talking about building a wall. I said, <laughs> I, that's not really our thing, but I don't know. So on a scale of 1 to 10 as it relates to readiness to be serving on council day one, how would you honestly assess yourself um, uh, in your readiness right now? 10 being you're just in there like you were, uh, you know, James Mitchell, <laughs> and one being like your Larkin. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think right now, I think I'm a strong seven or eight. I like to be prepared. Ooh. I'm a lawyer. You know, I know there's always going to be a learning curve. I've learned from guys like Larkin and other members on council who have come through. Um, there's always a steep learning curve. But one of the things I always want to make sure is that I'm always prepared. So I've gone through, I've attended city council meetings before. I've read the budget. I've read different plans that have been put forth to council. Uh, I've talked with members of the community. So... I've never met any elected official, any public servant that I agree 100% with on anything, and I don't expect anybody to agree with 100% of the things that I want to do, but I think that the key thing is making sure you're prepared. Yeah, I'm All a right. lawyer. I can't go in front of a judge, you know, flying from the hip, so, so that's I, so where I come I, from. I, I waited to let you self-rate yourself. Now, seven, what did you say, seven or eight? Seven or eight Pretty right high. now. So when we throw out things like, do you have a defined position and the difference between the uh, the 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 
uh, stormwater backlog between the categorized B's and C's. You kind of have a view there? I've talked a little about stormwater. So I'm on the Zoning Board of Adjustment, so I've dealt a little bit with that in, in my duties there, and I've talked with some people uh, over in, I don't know if it's your district or, to, or Larkin's district, but it's over on Park Road. There's some mm-hmm. build-up stormwater back there. Um behind the toastery and they've had yes, some issues about sure. getting that and I understand how much of a backlog is going on there and really focusing on I know it's a an issue of priorities and adjustments but there's always room for learning and growth totally unfair nerdy yeah, question I just I asked he <laughs> did that because if he like, has, that's something if, he we, has any if someone had asked me or Larkin that before we had ran and served this last two years we would have not known, but because you were so high on your numbers, uh, he, he might yeah, be more prepared. He to might be on be. council than some of the people that are on council. <laughs> That's a good point. But here, so here's a more here's a more fair question. Okay. Right? So one of the challenges we face is making tough decisions. Right. Right. And take take kind of zoning and our ordinances right now. Um, there seems to be a lack of appetite, and it's been around for a long time, to make decisions that are tough between two groups in the city that support them. For example. Right now, there's contradiction between where the sidewalk and kind of, um, you know, pedestrian um, um, accessible uh, features of the community, that that kind of activist group. And then you've got the tree save people and the trees. And right now, those are in contradiction. And it's kind of like, oh, we'll figure it out. And it's never clear. Are you of the mindset that that how how would you approach that and and solve for that once and for all? So. The way I approach everything, what I've been doing, you know, if you look at any of my campaign materials and what I've been doing on the campaign trail, I always take into account the issues that both sides have. I always want to sit down and I want to talk with everybody so I can fully understand and make a decision. And what I will say is, like I said a minute ago, you might not 100% agree with the issue, with my positions on issues, but I promise you if I'm at a neighborhood association meeting on a Wednesday, I'm going to say the same thing there. If I'm meeting with developers on a Thursday, I'll say the same thing there, and I'll do the same thing when I'm voting from the dais. So that's the way I'm going to approach these is taking in all the information that I can. Um, as I said, you know, I'm a lawyer. I like to read. You know, When my wife brought her new car, oh, I read through the whole thing. Yeah. right now, unfortunately. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's <laughs> well. No, I, I think that's important. I mean, one of the yeah. things that one of the things that will make you or break you faster than anything is if you're not true to your word. And so, I right. think if if there's one piece of advice we can give, it's that absolutely you need to be telling the same story every day to every group, uh, to every person. And and honestly, you're, there's going to be times where you have to give people an answer that's not the answer they're looking for or news that you don't want to give them. Um, but over time, I think people respect you more for being honest and doing that than trying to, to blow smoke up their, their butt. And then they come to find out later that you weren't truthful with them or you flipped on them or whatever. So um, let, me a- let me ask one other question because I'm going to assume, based on how Larkin teed this up, where – this is going to be a race run, in, run and won in the primary, and the general is just going to be for show if anyone's there at all. Um, and the, you probably won't get asked this question, but I'd like to be the one to ask it. There is a percentage of folks out there that are Republicans, right? and uh, you'll be serving them as well. But, you know, what do you say to that group of folks who maybe you don't rely on for their votes now? Uh, what's your message to them and why you're the, the best candidate? Well, I mean, I think it's the same thing I say when I'm talking to anybody. I don't change my message at all. I think that we all want the same things in Charlotte. We all have the same values at our core, and it's just the interpretation of those. Uh, I'm running to be the representative for District 3, and that means all of District 3, not the Republican part of District 3, not the Democratic part of District 3, but all of District 3. And I believe that at the end of the day, the things that I want to advance, you know, you guys know district reps. You're the boots on the ground people down there when you're dealing with stormwater, when you're dealing with uh, trash pickup, when you're dealing with those core issues, as well as the big picture issues in Charlotte. And I want to make sure that I'm adequately uh, prepared to 
help people out regardless of what their party affiliation is. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong Democrat. I've been a lifelong Democrat. And that, that shapes my core values and shapes my beliefs, my positions. But I think at the end of the day, the way I want to go about things, the things I want to accomplish will help everybody in the district. Strong. Okay. Well, we appreciate you coming on, sir. Best of luck on the campaign trail. We will certainly see you out there when uh, when the forums and everything else that starts Absolutely. coming up, which you're well aware of. You were very involved in the 2017 campaign on uh, Councilman Mitchell, so you've seen all of that, but you're going to get to see it from a different it's perspective It's going to be a different now. perspective. It's, all, a it's, it's a new world. You got anything you want to plug? I do. Please visit my website. It's VoteTerryBrown.com. Uh, I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of it's at TerryBrownCLT, so please check out my website. Please follow me on social media. I respond to everybody. Look forward to uh, talking with you guys earning your vote and uh four mil i still love you you're right there ne- down there below us so you know no hard geographically no yeah right yeah <laughs> I know. yeah yeah that's fire that's well good now you've got the r&d and the qc bump I- i'll take the it masses have seen i hope their server is ready for the web traffic that we yeah, just created yeah, right exactly, on the show. Exactly. i'm sure my, my web spinners max are donations are what are they fifty four hundred dollars fifty four hundred dollars so, Calm down, people who are trying to give more than that. That's right. That's right. Okay. Thanks, right. man. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Welcome back. Our second interview of our three-candidate interview series today, Mr. Caleb Tedris. Welcome to the podcast. CT. So much for having me. CT. So we uh, are going same thing we did. We had Mr. Brown up here just a few minutes ago, and uh, we just want to tee you up to tell the voters of District 3 and the people of Charlotte a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally, uh, your path that got you to where you're sitting today. Yeah. Um, so my name is Caleb Tedros. Um, I've lived in Charlotte for about roughly 15 years. So I went to James Martin Middle School and Harding High School uh, in the district, and uh, following that, I went to UNC Charlotte. So at UNC Charlotte, I um, you know, got a degree in economics and political science, and following that, I kind of ventured out to the banking world and you know, always stayed in touch in politics, obviously. Um, so District 3 is you know, a place where I've been in for, I'm a homeowner in the area, but I uh, initially got introduced to the area while I was in high school. Um, so when I went to Harding, you know, I had a certain outlook on you know things in general. So uh, you know, if you if you had bad grades in high school, whatever the case might be, you know, you didn't study or you didn't do well, you didn't care much for it. So it's only when I had you know certain conversations with folks and my classmates and um, um, people that I went to school with at that time that I sort of uh, got to understand what the district is about. Some of the things that folks went home to, um, realizing things weren't as simple as whether you got good grades or not. Um, so it's at that point I sort of, you know, got involved into politics and, you know, I always rooted at, as my political involvement getting started essentially in the district. Um, you know, so following that, you know, fast forward, I went to UNC Charlotte. Um, I was involved on campus. I was president of College Democrats. Um, and I eventually, that turned into meeting David Howard, uh, who was on city council, and then eventually council member, um, current council member Luana Mayfield. So myself and um, council member Mayfield, uh, we worked together for maybe four or five years now in the district, and um, in that time, you know, it's a lot of it has been community activism, where you know, almost every single neighborhood meeting, community meetings, neighborhood cleanups um, that I've attended for maybe four or five years. So, you know, sort of after that time, I you know, after getting involved uh, that much, I sort of decided to I wanted to run for city council and especially that district. So, so now, what's yeah, what what would you say your you know 
top issue or top couple issues are that that are what your reason for running and and i'll frame that too as both for the city but then what do you think are some specific issues that you would want to address or that you've identified in district three Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of it, obviously, the conversation around affordable housing. You know, affordable housing seems to be this, you know, catchphrase that we've been using for the past four or five years. But in reality, it's a problem that folks have faced for, you know, a couple of decades now, especially folks in District 3, where a lot of them have been there for, you know, most of their lives. Um, but, you know, an- another, I-, I guess, kind of problem with it is just um, in that issue in itself. It's this idea that we have to focus on a couple of issues. Because ultimately, you guys know as council members, once you talk about affordable housing, you're forced to talk about transportation. You're forced to talk about economic mobility. So part of the kind of the main reasons why I'm also running isn't necessarily on an issue, but a system of access, you know, a system of a lack of access in the district. So if you talk about, you know, transportation, you know, a lot of the transportation discussion has been centered around light rail. Um, especially working under David Howard, I feel like that's all I've talked about in um, um, the light rail. And even though I'm in support of an efficient light rail system, a lot of the folks in the district, you know, their main problem is even the busing system. You know, people having problems, uh, you know, getting in trouble at work because their bus ran late. So um, part of it is expanding the conversation in transportation to where we need to include all forms of transportation actually do something about it. you know every like six or eight months you know you see an article about you know the busing uh, or cats is re-looking at the busing and transportation system um, but you know actually whether that's going to be reflective in the budget or actually taking action um, expanding that to economic mobility I mean especially within the district something as specific as the manufacturing industry you know, District 3 is home to areas zoned, uh, even though that conversation is probably going to change. But for, um, you know, industrial zones, manufacturing jobs, this is an area where people don't necessarily have to have a four-year college degree. But with appropriate training that CPCC a lot of the time has, uh, you don't necessarily, you're not going in for a job, but you're able to even get a career. Um, so what, what, what would you say, because you've obviously, this is, you, you know, you've cited this as a top issue. Clearly it is across the city. What would you say is kind of, as you've watched us operate over this last term, uh, one thing that you think we did well and you agree with, and one thing that if you were, had been serving, you might've gone about it a little differently. Well, um, I think the emphasis on the affordable housing problem, I mean, every other day, some council member no matter you know where they are in the political spectrum or no matter how they think we should solve the problem of um, you, you know affordable housing has been good you know every council member is talking about it I think uh, the push to involve the corporate community I work at Wells Fargo now and you know they're one of the banks that decided to get involved and realize that this is a problem this wouldn't have necessarily happened if uh, council members and other members of uh, the community didn't emphasize how much this was an issue in Charlotte so in your race in particular, but in most of the races in city council, uh, the primaries are really where the winners tend to be decided, and the general elections are a bit of a formality. So in a race where you are up against, and all three of you will be on the podcast this week, uh, where you're up against people who probably, in at least in the big picture, agree with you and, and us on the priority of affordable housing and upward mobility and things like that, what issue or what characteristic about you do you think differentiates you uh, from the folks you're, who you're running against? Uh, you're all Democrats. You're all probably going to agree on a lot of things. How do you separate yourself when you're selling yourself to voters as, uh, as the best option? Um, at the end of the day, I think it would be understanding of the issues and experience. 
Um, it's no joke, whether it's my lack of facial hair or whatever, that, you know, I'm 24 <laughs> years old running for council. But at the Yeah, we do have a beard rule here. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah we're going to have to glue one on or yeah. something. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I don't think that necessarily equates to experience. Like I said, the past four or five years, I've attended the majority of community meetings, the majority of uh, neighborhood meetings, the majority of even neighborhood cleanups. Um, and that's just to say that um, at the end of the day, folks aren't necessarily looking for these outlandish ideas of how to solve affordable housing. They're not looking for these continuous use of bus phrases or buzz phrases like, you know, we need to handle this as a whatever. They want to see a council member who's understanding of the problems. And you don't understand something if you're not involved previously. I'm not going to sit here and continue to talk about as a council member, I'm going to do this and this. I'm going to say past three years. I've been at these council. I've been at these neighborhood meetings, understanding your your uh, understanding your issues, understanding what things are important to the community. So, I mean, part of the things that I do consider uh, that separates myself from the group would be just my level of understanding of the sentiments of the folks in the community, um, for what folks think about really think about affordable housing, even about crime. I mean, this. This is not an issue necessarily Democrats talk about too much, but if you go to these neighborhood meetings, the majority of folks over the age of 40, 50, 60, um, they talk about the level of crime in their area. So, um, and you don't necessarily would understand that from any polling information. Sure, you see the statistics behind CMPD and you understand um, that, especially this year, that it's a problem. But if you go to these neighborhood meetings and understand the actual relationships that folks have with CMPD, you would have a different outlook on it. So, I mean, um, you know, I don't mean to run off into crime, but, you know, interesting point. But on on your point of of having been involved, um, yeah, just out of curiosity, what part of the district do you live in and how long of the 15 years you've been in Charlotte have you lived in District 3? Um, So I I own a home off of Tuckasegee. I've Mm -hmm. owned it for about a year and a half. Before then, I was in South End. Different part, but still, still within District the three. Di- yeah. District 3. Um, when I was working under Luana, I was A lot of people in- don't realize South End's in District 3. They all think it's mine. Yeah. I have the other side of South Boulevard. Hip- because he's a hipster. You get those They're emails. Like, ah, must be Larkins. <laughs> hipsters don't live in... I don't know what you guys Tark are calling yourselves. Tark still doesn't know what hipsters are. Yeah. We're trying to learn. I don't know. But... So so what about... what about So on the other end of that spectrum, right, to Larkin's first question is... Unfortunately, uh, you know, these things in a lot of cases are completely decided in the primary of which District three for all those who are pragmatic will be decided in in the primary. Um, So there are a lot of Republicans, at least a a fair amount that you would also be representing. And I don't think you guys are going to get this question. So I'm asking it to all of you, you know, knowing it won't probably matter that much. What case do you make that for the Republican folks there to want to support you? as to why you'd be the best candidate. Yeah, Um, especially at a local level, some of our ideas align, whether whatever political spectrum, whatever side you're on. Going to these neighborhood meetings, especially in Steel Creek, Steel Creek relative to a lot of my areas in West Boulevard had a higher um, population of folks who are Republicans coming into these meetings. So having three, four years of discussion with, with these folks that are Republicans and in the district, you sort of understand that, you know, their problems and, um, um, you know, their their you know, the problems that they have with crime or overcrowding of their school, which, you know, city relative can't, can't do much, but they, uh, they face the same amount of problems. So, you know, it's, you know, getting our message out there, realizing that this is, this isn't, it's, if you wanted to measure it on the political spectrum, it's relatively progressive. 
But saying that we want safer streets, saying that we wanted um, equitable forms of transportation, saying that we wanted, you know, homes that were affordable, that if you've lived here for 30, 40, 50 years, you shouldn't necessarily be, you know, kicked out of your home. That's not necessarily a democratic issue. That's just an issue that folks in the districts in the large part of the city face. And so I think our message is um, overreaching to where people who are moderates, people who are Republicans, conservatives, whatever, um, are going to be able to connect with our message. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll, you know, we've been receiving our feedback, whether, um, you know, it's criticism or not. But, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of stand by our message to whoever it is. On a scale of one to ten, uh, how would you characterize your readiness to take a seat on council and be a productive member today? Kind of ten being you've been here and you're operating forever and one being you never even heard of it. Yeah. I mean, a 10, uh, you know, you, th- this <laughs> isn't, if, you, if you're running for a specific seat, I mean, this isn't something where you say, you know, if I get in there January by March, I go through new council training by May, I should be ready. December, I can do something. You know, this has to be something where you're actually prepared. This has to be something where you know the issues. So um, you're familiar not, with, not the pers- to burst your bubble, but no one's a 10. Well, let, let's see. So you're, what's your, like what, what percentage of the city's major corridors have a failing volume to capacity ratio? Have a fail in volume to capacity. It's an unfair ratio. question, but that's the that I, I the higher you guys rate yourselves, the more unfair questions that I'll ask of things that we had no idea existed before we who, got in. Okay, touche. Who is a ten though? I mean, when you say no, if you're nobody, fully just to, me at this point. No, no. <laughs> literally nobody. No, I mean, nobody. I, nobody. So that, I mean, it's all right. So it's, when you it's, ask, it's, ask it's an unfair question, question. Yeah. but I, it's interesting to see how you all so kind I mean, of answer it with with your. You mindset, know, your argument you know? could yeah. be you're as ready as you can be till you get in the seat. Because there's things that inevitably you just... In hindsight, what number were you before? Yeah, but being ready doesn't necessarily mean you know all the answers, though. I That's mean, if you're, if you're there to solve the problems, okay. you're there and you're confident. Oh, you're still able all right. To kind well, of learn well, well turned around. Well turned. Yeah. What were you? Well, I mean, I guess we have to decide whether we think his framing of readiness is 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 the right one or ours is. I think but, I mean, the way Tarek's works, framing yeah. the question is, could you step in tomorrow and and be just Not as up to speed yet. as Councilman Mayfield or Councilman Mitchell or whoever? And the answer is, is obviously no. None of us could have. But if the if the question is how, how, ready, are you how ready are you to rise start. to any challenge that comes your way that day, I think maybe we, it's an interesting angle you put on it. I think the angle we were thinking was how ready are you to not have to have someone pull you aside in a back room and, and explain, explain the yeah. background of all that stuff to you so that you could then make it. I think you might have taken it a different way in that you're ready to take any challenge, but there's going to be a lot as with that us still every day that they explain to us. So would you change your number? So you're 10 <laughs> on the full readiness, but how much you think you kind of know off the bat, where would you put your number there? I mean, if you were to go on the scale, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can pinpoint it. Everything is relative. So if you tell me this individual is here, maybe I change it. If you tell me a staff members here, like, what am I going to argue with Pam Weidman about affordable <laughs> housing, whether who knows more? The fact uh, that you know, know Pam Weidman's in charge of affordable good. housing is a good yeah, start. Yeah, that's solid. So, that's solid. But I mean, like you said, it's, it's, as far as readiness, who's actually ready to tackle these problems, of course I would say it was a 10. Um, as far as, you know, being able to learn, do I know everything? No. I mean, you know, like... Like I said, working with council member all those years, I have relationship with staff members. Yeah. They tell me about these promises you make on the campaign trail. And then you get in on day one. And they're like, here's a list of what you can do. <laughs> oh, on June, you promised this at this speech. You can't do that. So I'm also aware. We're going to fix the schools yeah. as a council member. Yeah. Who's the worst council member sitting right now? Would you say? <laughs> <laughs> He's kidding. <laughs> 
All right, so any final closing thoughts you want to offer up to the uh, voters of District 3 and the people of Charlotte as to uh, if you got a website they should go visit, what, what else do you want to leave with them uh, as they hear the story of Caleb? Yeah, so um, at the end of the day, the story of Caleb is the story of somebody who's involved, um, the story of somebody who's actually been um, into the community and has an understanding of some of the sentiments that people have within the district, um, somebody who knows that at the end of the day, we don't want the West Side or District 3 to continuously saying people saying, you know, we deserve more. This needs to be reflected in the budget. This needs to be reflected in actual uh, policy agreements. This needs to be reflected in actual, you know, actions that you take within the district. We're not just an area of gas stations and an airport. You know, this is a diverse, thriving area um, that has deep historical roots. And so, um, you know, my, you know, my main message is you know put lip service behind excuse me put actions behind lip service so i'm you know running for council again my you can um look up any information you want at calebnc.com uh that's calebnc.com and so our email address phone number any way to contact us is um on that website and also on facebook uh caleb tedros d3 so uh, again thanks so much for having me we appreciate you coming on man good luck out on the trail i appreciate that All right, welcome back to R&D in the QC. We are here with interview number three of three today for the candidates running for District 3. And last but certainly not least, we've got Ms. Victoria Watlington. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So we're going to let you start off with just a little bit of uh, Watlington 101. Mm -hmm. Give people your personal and professional story and what it is that led you to where you are today and led you to run. Sure. So, first and foremost, I was born on Fort Bragg, North Carolina, about two and a half hours away. Both my parents are U.S. Army retired. So, we moved around a little bit. Um, South Carolina, Germany, Missouri. Then I went to school down in Florida, and then I moved back here uh, to start work full-time with Partner & Gamble down in Lancaster, South Carolina. So, moved out to to Still Creek in Charlotte, uh, down in Waterland, and I was there for five years. And just like everybody else that lives in Still Creek, the traffic became a huge impact to my commute every day. And so I said, I'm going to need to get a little bit closer into the city. Um, and so that is when I moved five years ago to Westover Hills, and that's where I'm still at today. And that, I would have to say, is where I fell in love with Charlotte. Um, being an Army brat, you know we move around quite a bit. And so meeting my neighbors that have been in their houses since the 1950s whose parents had lived in the houses people who were literally born there um that was just fascinating it blew me away and my neighbors are amazing i live in a um neighborhood that's been long established and so you've got what the elusive native charlatans are quite a few in my neighborhood and they just took me in and took me under their wing and so was able to get involved with the neighborhood association there as the secretary and that was where i really started to um feel the civic call if you will um, I had been involved obviously with my community prior to that with uh, National Society of Black Engineers and my church and various other hands-on Charlotte things like that but specific to my neighborhood was when I moved to Westover Hills and so I started to get very involved with helping to connect the dots basically I'm an engineer by trade and so I think process systems right and so I'm always the one asking the question surely this has been done before who do I need to connect to to get this answer for things like code enforcement things like even landscaping some of the things that my neighbors were dealing with I was seeing was really a problem 
in terms of lack of access more so than something that needed to be recreated. And so getting involved with that, I was invited to go to the Community Planning Academy, which is put on by the planning department. Fantastic program. That was where I would say my light bulb moment was, where I learned about redlining and the history of Charlotte and Brook, the uh, Brooklyn Village and urban renewal and all of that. And so for me as an engineer, I said, Okay, I get it. If this was done by design, we've got to design our way out of it. We've got to be intentional. We need a plan. And so that was where I started learning as much as I could. I had a chance to go to um, Civic Leadership Academy through Housing and Neighborhood Services to learn about how the city runs, where are the departments, how does the money flow. Also, Aviation Academy over at the airport, um, and then finally CMPD Citizens Academy. So in the mix of all of that, I was invited to join the board for the West Boulevard Neighborhood Coalition because, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, a lot of the West Side is changing. And so the neighborhoods along the boulevard are experiencing a lot of the same challenges when you think about affordable housing as South End moves westward. When you think about transportation, access to food care, health care, things like that, the coalition is focused on the broader scope. And so I've been the land use committee chair for the past couple of years working with the city, uh, putting together a strategic area plan that's uh, comprehensive in that area. And it has now rolled into the pilot for the 2040 comprehensive plan. So that's how I got involved. I just, I love my neighbors. I love service. I like solving problems. That's what I do, what I do professionally and also what I do in the in the civic sphere. Well, this is definitely an opportunity to become more of a problem solver if you get elected. <laughs> and you started to answer the second question, which mm -hmm. is, what do you see as one or two of the biggest issues for the city as a whole that you would mm -hmm. want to tackle as a member of city council, but then specifically, and you've got a, a perspective as someone who's lived in two parts mm -hmm. of District 3, yeah. what do you see as some issues that are maybe specific to District 3 that you would mm -hmm. want to tackle? Definitely. I think it's, again, that comprehensive plan. That's where it starts. That's where we've seen the power of coming together from a community standpoint and really saying, what do we want to do? How do we want to move the needle holistically? So that community-driven strategic planning, understanding the buttons and the levers of how things get done, who the key decision makers are, and how things get made, even to the point of understanding the budget cycle so that you know as you're lobbying for various things for your, um, for your area, okay, well, you've got to start these conversations at this particular time if you want to see the resources be allocated to it within the next cycle. Um, so that strategic planning piece, because as we think about a comprehensive plan, we want to ensure that people are able to stay in their neighborhoods if they want to. On the west side, we've got a upwards of 10% vacancy rate, but we also see an increase of rental um, renter-occupied homes. And so what we have is a lot of owners that live out of state, LLCs that own large swaths of um, of housing. And so when we think about how do we help people stay and age in place and also not be displaced with the change, we've got to start connecting those dots between owners and people who are looking for home ownership, whether that's through down payment assistance or what have you. Um, so that's a piece. And then the transportation, of course. So Steel Creek, very, very car driven. You got to have a car if you want to run errands. Same thing along the boulevard. And so as we think about the 2030 transportation plan, how do we make sure we think strategically about where we're putting pedestrian crossings, where our bus stops, where are our um, alternative modes of transportation to get to the future silver line down uh, Wilkinson? When you think about Steel Creek, of course, we know 49 and 160 are state roads, but we, as maintaining it as the city, there are places like Moss Intersection where we need stoplights and we need to take a look at the traffic uh, pattern so that we can help folks be able to get where they're trying to go without taking a big chunk of their life. 
And then finally, economic mobility. And that's a huge piece, as we all know. We're in Charlotte. We've all heard the Chetty Study numbers. Um, so when we think about all of the businesses that come to Charlotte, why we're such a growth-centered um, city, we got to make sure that people that live here and people that work here, as our mayor has so eloquently put it, are able to also uh, live in the city. And Yeah, yeah no, that's, I mean, strong. That's strong. Well, well said. So... You've said a lot, and clearly you and you're the third of, of three now that we've interviewed all have pretty impressive backgrounds and involvement. Um, you know, if you were to self-rate yourself of on a scale of one to ten mm-hmm. in your readiness to start the job on day one, mm-hmm. um, and we'll clarify, we've had some some other interpretation needs, but we won't say any more than that. Sure. Where would you self-rate yourself? Well, knowing what I know, and I'm certainly looking to you all for some more data, but I would say professionally and civically, my resume is unmatched. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I would definitely say um, uh, probably an eight and a half to a nine. When I think about professionally, that I think is the differentiator. So coming to uh, Procter & Gamble initially, we were trained to be engineers as business leaders. So be able, being able to connect that problem solving piece to the strategic vision and how does everything that we do link back up to that. I'm also a, pro- a professional project manager. And so when you think about capital management, when you think about program management and how the intersectionality of things impact, um, I've got tons of experience in that regard and then finally as an operations manager connecting the people to the systems and the infrastructure is what I do on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and then civically as I said I've graduated from all four of the city's uh, planning academy or excuse me community academies and I've got extensive experience actually doing the advocacy uh, for my uh, district. Have you been through the FBI Citizens Academy? Though? I have not been through the FBI Citizens Academy I yet. Got one on you. <laughs> you do, you do. Um, actually, I will say, and and I enjoy the FBI Citizens Academy. Mm-hmm. CMPD is better, mm-hmm. uh, having been through both. So anybody who's interested in the law enforcement angle of uh, mm-hmm. learning about how those things work, CMPD is uh, second to none. Yes. So Can I say one yes, thing about that, just to plug? I'm also the vice chair of the Civil Service Board, and it's not currently a requirement to go through Citizens Academy. It's only for the Citizens Review Board. Mm-hmm. But I would highly encourage, if you've got an interest in um, in hiring and being a part of that process with, um, with folks that are coming in as recruits, Citizens Academy gave a great perspective. Absolutely. So in a district where... It's one of the, the, if not the bluest, it's one of the most blue districts mm-hmm. in the city. Um, many times there's not even a Republican who files, and, and when they do, it's it's mostly token opposition. Your race will likely be decided in the primary. Mm-hmm. Given that all three of you that we've interviewed today and anybody else who gets in the race as a Democrat probably agrees on some of the top issues and maybe broadly agrees on what, um, what the need is or what direction they'd want to take the city, what do you think – whether it's a, a certain issue that you think is unique to you or a position or a strategy that's unique or something just about your resume or your personal characteristics that makes you unique when you're pitching to people why you're the best option for District 3, um, how do you set yourself apart from others? Sure, two things. Firstly, I think I spoke a little bit about it earlier. Professionally, I'm an engineer and operations manager. That means I've got real experience leading organizations and making database decisions and leading strategy development and execution of of, uh, problem solving. Um, The second thing is I uniquely sit as the Land Use Committee Chair for the West Boulevard Coalition, and my role has been for the last two years working directly with the city's planning and housing and neighborhood services and the city management managers uh, department, as well as now we've started to engage the county to talk about and create literally the plan that will go forward um, for the comprehensive 2040 plan for our area. 
So um, I, I've asked each candidate this, and I'll, I'll ask you, and it'll probably be the only time you're asked this on the entire campaign trail. <laughs> oh, yeah. Given what Larkin just said about, mm-hmm. you know, just how, how, uh, how blue it is. Um, and that is, you know, there are going to be a lot of Republicans, though, mm-hmm. even in a minority in, in District 3, that you'd be representing as well. Um, even though you don't maybe necessarily need them to win, what message would you send them particularly of why you're the best candidate um, uh, for for representing the entire district, including them? Absolutely. It's funny you say that. Um, last year, during early voting, I was uh, working the polls for the Black Political Caucus, and I was talking to a guy, well, I won't name his name, but um, a Republican, and we got up to chat, and he also had a lot of uh, experience in Lean and Six Sigma um, and continuous improvement, that whole methodology. And so as we started to talk about it, you find out very quickly that it's not so much that people want different things, it's a matter of how you approach it. And I believe, as an engineer, the data tells the story, right? And so I would say whether you're Democratic or you're Republican, if we can all understand and agree and put our eyes on the data, then we can talk about what we want to prioritize and have those conversations. But fundamentally, I believe we all want the same thing. And I think it should be sound. It should be data-based, whatever decisions that we are making. And I think that anybody can get behind that. Strong, strong. Final. Uh, so what, what, uh, what, you know, do you want to leave everyone with the final thought? Do you want to plug anything, a website, anything sure. you need folks to know? Absolutely. We are looking for volunteers. Come join the Win with Watlington team. You can follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram at Win with Watlington. And our campaign website is winwithwatlington.com. Please join our distribution list. You can keep updated on events that are happening with the campaign. We'd love to have you. And also, regardless of who you vote for, plug in. We've got a lot of work happening in the city. Whatever your gifts, your talents, your interests are, whether it's a board board service with the city, with the county, or out in the private sector, make sure that you are doing your part to plug in. Beautiful. Well, we uh, we appreciate being on. And obviously, uh, uh, Larkin and I are going to do an intro on top of all this to kind of tie all the knots together. But um, anyone who's running, including Republicans who want to jump out and, and go to certain death, they're all welcome. On, they're all welcome on the show, uh, and we will give you guys uh, an equal shot to kind of come out to the wonderful R and D in the QC community uh, to make your case. As, uh, the, re- the Republican, as the Republican who ran for District Three in 2017. Uh, was so damaged emotionally that he fled to Tennessee. Oh, uh, That's not literally why he left. Oh. Just, but, but he did. He did move to Tennessee. This is how, I don't think it this has how Democrat lies get started. Oh, right wait, can I ask y'all a question? Oh, yeah. Because both of you were first time. Well, I assume first time candidates last first time uh, winners. Go around. I was first the only time first time candidate. Yeah, I was. The, I was <laughs> okay, the first time Sorry, winner. Third time was the charm Long for time time Shade. That's not shade. That's facts. <laughs> Touche. Database. Database. I can appreciate it. But what are you? guys looking for in a can in a uh, new colleague and i know that when you were on the trail there were things that you felt like this is value add but when you got into the really reals of it and having to be collaborative and get things done being one vote out of a full council what do you think would be most helpful so we talked about this a little bit um with with terry in the first interview and i talked about the importance of and it's not just with your colleagues, but it is certainly also with your colleagues, the importance of, of pe- people being able to depend on what you tell them, mm-hmm. even if what you tell them is not what they want to hear. Right. And I think that um, both with your constituents, both with the, the business owners and developers that you'll meet with and have to talk to about things that they want to do, um, just telling everyone the same story and the true story mm-hmm. and not saying one thing and doing another. And I think that at least my experience, and I see what Tark thinks, my experience is with the 12 of us counting the mayor, 
really what you want to know is that you can count on somebody that if, if I walk down the hall and I say, um, Targ, you know, I've got this coming up tonight. It's really important to me. Is this something you're planning on voting for or against? Can we talk about it if you've got any questions? Mm-hmm. And then if I walk out of his office and he says, yeah, I'm with you, I'm voting for it. Or he mm-hmm. says, sorry, man, I, I can't get on board with that. Either way, I, that I know that he's telling me the truth. And 100%. I know that when we get down to the dais, uh, that that's yeah. what he's going to do or Justin's going to do or you're going to do right. is what you've told me. Um, and so I think trust and, and an ability to collaborate with people is are the single biggest things that uh, I don't need to agree with someone all the time to appreciate them as a colleague. Right. If they're collaborative, they genuinely want to seek to better understand whatever issue we're tackling. And then they're honest at the end of the day about where they fell out on it, not for political reasons, but because their beliefs and the facts that were presented to them and that they are, are forthcoming with how they're where they landed. And I mean, it, I, before he even started all that, my answer was going to be trust and it right. was going to be the exact same thing. We, we, we won't agree on everything. Um, but to know that that trust is there to know I can go up to a Larkin or a Justin or a Braxton and maybe give some politically sensitive information that is critical to a decision we need to make. But knowing that, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to hand it to the opposition. This is something I need to trust you with. And I know you're not going to say, it. I think that's the kind of thing where you, you can get so much more done. And even though you're not going to agree when you can have that trust, when I walk out of his office and he said, yes, I'm supporting that. I don't need to think about that again. Right. I know he said it. And if he does change his mind, he's going to tell me first. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. So that that's, yeah, I totally agree. Good that's question. Fair. That's fair. Oh, Thank you for that. Traditional interview 101. Turn the table. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we <laughs> appreciate you joining us and, and everybody joining us. Me. We hope that our listeners in District 3 feel like they've got a good uh, foundation to build on, continue to do research, continue to ask questions of these folks, hold them accountable. Uh, but you've got good options, and that's always yes. a good position to be in. we can't have a Republican in District 3, <laughs> well, we've got three good Democrat <laughs> options now. So there so, you go. Once again, thank you for joining us uh, on episode, what was it, Tark? 60! Episode 60. Very nice. Wow, Very that's nice. a lot. We're that's getting up lot, there. man. We're All right, well. There. Uh, we will be off next week. Uh, well, this is next week. No, but then we're off the week after. The week after. Which is next week to anyone listening to this podcast. Indeed. <laughs> I thought it through more than you did. That's Don't question job. me. Totally. Um, Agreed. Whenever you're listening to this, there won't be an episode a week from now because Tarek will be gone. Yes, and Larkin clearly understands how podcasts work because you could be listening to this <laughs> a year, a from, year now. from now. <laughs> if you're listening to this on time, there won't be an episode next week. Just make sure you have your notifications set up. We'll be back eventually. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week. (laughs) Or sometime. (laughs) Uh, That's good. Yeah, they're cute.